Hey guys, my name is Crystal Kenny, and I'm in love with creating. All things artistic and imagination involved. I'm an American girl who chased her creative dreams all the way to Paris, France, making a living using photography. This podcast takes you inside the stories of all the artsy folks I've met along the way and gives you that extra push to discover your creative gifts. The desire to create is deeply inside each and every one of us, and I give you the tools and inspiration to find a new way of living a more creative life. This is La Vie Creative, the podcast. Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History avec Hemingway. Today we are talking about Leanne de Pougy, and that is such a fun name. I know nothing about this person, and Claudine is going to teach us today. So thank you for tuning in. I'll let Claudine tell you more about Pougy. I know. I I kind of want to get all Charo on it, and that's going to date myself to say Charo. It'll be Pougy Pougy. <laughs> <laughs> Charo's making a comeback. She's all I know who Charo is. She was all over VH1 back in the day too. Yeah, she used to be on Love Boat. That's right. Yeah. I didn't know her from that. I just knew her from doing like the funny little, like, you know, they always do the make fun of videos or whatever. Yeah. And they always would bring her on. I loved, I loved me some love boat, love boat, fantasy Island. And then I saw those in, I don't know, the last like six, seven years or something on TV. And I was watching love boat and I'm like, Oh my God, this is so horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that way about all the shows I watched as a kid. I was like, why did I watch this? this is- yeah, I know. But back then I thought it was awesome. We already had a segue. So Leanne de Pougy, she was her real name, of course, um, was Anne-Marie um, Chassin. She, her father was Pierre Chassin and her mom was Amy um, Gabrielle Lopez. She was educated in um, Brittany. She was born and educated in Brittany. And in 1886, she was 17 years old. Um, and she was, of course, married off. So she was married to a naval um, officer, and his name was Joseph Armand Henri Pouji. Pouji. Yes. So she, um, they got married on July 15th, 1886. And um, the next year in May, she had a son, um, Edmund Armand. And so they were living down in Marseille, and her husband repeatedly would beat her up. Oh, no. Yeah, not a good thing. So he was away. He was away a lot. And so she, while she was down there, she had, you know, all this time on her hands. So she took a lover. I just love smart woman. She took herself a lover. And her husband um, supposedly had come in and caught her in bed with him. And he shot at her and uh, nicked her wrist. So (gasps) luckily that was, it was, you know, just very easy wound. Um, but she, he, um, nicked her wrist, um, with a bullet and she, so she was just like, I've had it. I'm not going to do this. Um, she sold her piano and left, um, her son there with, with her husband and her parents and flew off to Paris. I love that she got shot at and then just ran away to Paris. (laughs) But also she abandoned her kid. Like that's kind of weird. I'm always surprised. Yeah. it's always kind of strange when you hear, it's, I don't know, it's just a mother. I mean, it gets, it's just kind of strange, but she, you know, he beat her so much that she had scars that she had her whole life, like on her chest. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. She was always trying to cover up. 
Um, but she left them behind, left her son behind and flew off to Paris and probably didn't fly. But, you know, because this was 1880, you know, 1869. <laughs> um, but they they had only been married for two years. And so she filed for her divorce and her family was horrified because that was such a huge scandal back then, you know, for a woman to get be able to get divorced and to eat. I mean, it's it still like they thought it was a scandal. She was getting divorced, but I guess it was OK that he was beating her. Yeah, this God, women had it so hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's still not that much better when you come, you know, when you come to think about things like that. Yeah, it's a huge problem in Paris and France still today. That's what they're doing all kinds of uh, protests about femicide. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, but in Paris, she took dance lessons um, from a woman named Marie Therese Margita, and um, but at that point, that is when she changed her name to Leanne de Pougy. She didn't want the same name as that. Well, she did take his name. Yeah, the last name. I'm surprised she wanted to keep the last name. I know. It is kind of surprising. You would think that she would just say, forget it. I could change it altogether. Um, mm-hmm. But she get, began to dance in the cabarets. And she started to um, gather a lot of attention because she was beautiful. Like, I'll post to, um, there's a picture that I will post on my website of her. And if you recall the scene in um, My Fair Lady, when they go to the races and all the women are wearing like black and white and they have those huge white hats and stuff. And that's, there's a picture of her that that's what she looks like. And it's, she's just beautiful. Mm, Yeah. I need to look at it. It's really, she's really pretty. So when she was there, um, she was dancing in these clubs. She met a um, man named Henry Miak, who was a playwright. And he was instantly, of course, drawn to her. He ended up being able to get her a job at the um, Folies Berger, which, you know, was a huge, it still is um, in Paris, a big, uh, you know, they had lots of different acts and dancing. And so in April, 1884, she also premiered at the on the Olympia stage. Wow, she was she like shot up there really quick. Yeah, and when the Olympia first opened, um, of course, it was opened by um, one of the same gentlemen that actually opened Moulin, the Moulin Rouge. Um, it was more they that's what they had. Like now it's a concert hall. But, you know, and Edith Piaf from everybody in the world has played there. Um, but it first started where they actually would have like circus acts and different stage shows. So fun. Yeah, because the owner, before it was the Olympia, he actually had, in that spot, was a wooden roller coaster. What? I mean, most (laughs) roller coasters, you know, the structure of itself, you know, was wooden back then and even not that long ago. Um, But they were really worried um, that it would catch on fire. So he was actually forced to close it. And then they built the Olympia. Sounds like he was a good businessman. He was pretty smart. Yeah. And the Olympia is still there today. Go back to our Edith Piaf episode for more on that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, But, you know, she was there. She was starting to get even more attention. Um, The critics were not as uh, amused by her charm. Um, They didn't think that she was, you know, she didn't exactly command the stage, but because she was so beautiful, she did in that way. And one of them actually had said that she was the prettiest woman of the century. That's huge. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty big distinction. Uh, But she took acting lessons from Sarah Bernhardt, um, who let her know after a few lessons that she had no talent. And Sarah (laughs) told her to open her mouth only to smile. (laughs) Oh, that's terrible. That is terrible. But, you know, we've talked a lot about these different ladies that are courtesans and 
and uh, dancers and stuff. And usually sometimes it doesn't translate to all of a sudden you're a triple threat. Yeah, that's true. You usually have one talent. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the acting was not hers. Um, but so, of course, she became a courtesan, um, which is our favorites. And she was one of the most po- popular one at that time. And the Fantastic. men devoted to, yeah, the men devoted to her um, were the list was long and included like uh, Maurice the Rothschild. He basically gave her tons of jewels and gifts and lots of money. <laughs> well, she was a smart chick, but um, she met uh, Natalie Barney, who we've also talked about before. She yeah. met her one night at, at, at a bal musette and Natalie instantly fell in love with her. Leanne just kind of pushed her away. You know, she was um, definitely she would sleep with the women, you know, a lot of women for her own pleasure. And then the men were the work. Uh, but <laughs> uh, Leanne kind of kept pushing Natalie away. Natalie one day showed up at her home that was on 15 Rue de la Neve and dressed as a Florentine page standing outside her window singing to her. No way. (laughs) I mean, kind of, we talked about this on Natalie's, but it's, it was like, you know, the 19th century say anything. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. (laughs) Um, But she finally, um, finally she wore Leanne down and the two of them had an affair for a while, but as we remember, Natalie wasn't so good when it comes came to being faithful. She expected her partners to be faithful, but she didn't feel that she needed to maybe have the same sort of lessons. <laughs> Difficult. Yeah. So she, they, the two of them wouldn't last very long. Leanne actually wrote a uh, book called The Sapphire Idol in September of 1901, and it was based a, a lot on their affair. The character of Flossie was Natalie, and it was pretty well known all over Paris that, that who it was actually about, and it made Natalie famous. Drama. Yeah, she was famous in Paris. The two of them, you know, there's, uh, we talk about it in Natalie's episode about how they go down to the island of Lesbo, and uh, <laughs> they, uh, while they were there, Natalie decided that another old lover would come down with them, and so Leanne was like, yeah, forget it, I'm out of here. <laughs> Smart woman. Yeah. Um, recently, just recently in 2019, a bunch of their letters um, between the two of them were was actually published. Oh, did you read it? I haven't actually. I haven't um, looked them up to see to read any of them. But that, that was a long time. So 2019. Yeah, it's like now. Yeah, it's now. Um, but she, uh, Leanne actually had with one of my favorite courtesans that we've talked about, Baltesse de Laban, she taught her the art of being a courtesan. Mm, and it was much like later. That. It was after Baltesse decided, you know, she wasn't really good. She kind of, you know, uh, hung up her uh, courtesan coat and uh, decided to, you know, that's they were involved in a relationship. And she was teach basically passing on all of her knowledge and her skills on to um, Leanne. Um, and it was in, you know, the later years. And she would spend a lot of time out where Valtes at her home outside of Paris. Just chilling. Just chilling. But she preferred, <laughs> you know, the company of women in her own private time. But it didn't stop her. Composer um, Re- Reynold Re- Han. Um, he he basically uh, inspired her to write, um, uh, inspired him 
to write quite a few different um, pieces and sonnets, basically all about her. And he would come and spend the day with her while another um, a painter named Antonio de la Ganda would sit there and paint her. So she would just sit there and somebody be painting her and somebody writing sonnets and, you know, (laughs) while she just sat there. That's so epic. I love that. She's just like hanging out while someone's writing songs, love songs about her and another dude's painting her. Like she's just being worshiped by the prettiest woman in the, of the century. I mean, she really upgraded by leaving that like woman beater guy. Like, yeah. thank God. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, but she also, you know, she was an author too. So she started writing that book where she wrote Sapphire Idol. Um, and then she wrote quite a few other books. Um, after that, she wrote many novels and stories. Her first novel was uh, La Soussaint in 1898. And it was the, about the life of a courtesan, you know, write what you know. Um, right. Basically, it was this life of this courtesan named uh, Josine de Levin um, and then another and other half worldly women, as a lot of the times they'd like to call the prostitutes were of the half world, the demi uh, I like that, actually. I know. It's like, what does that mean? Like they're de- in between like good and evil and, you know, heaven and hell. Like, what is this? <laughs> I guess it's a little, I guess if you go to them, depending on what you want, it is a little bit, you know, otherworldly. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, she also wrote like uh, books that were like, you know, comedy, like they were funny. Um, So she, she wrote more than five novels and a ton of short stories that were published and they were very popular. Um, She basically was like, you know, the most famous courtesan at the time. In 1904, she served um, as an editor of a paper, a weekly paper that was called um, um, La Detra. And she served as the um, illustrated. It was all about it had illustrations of different women, not like we're not like we're not talking Playboy, but it was a (laughs) weekly magazine. Um, She was basically the cover girl of it as well. Cover and the editor. She was a busy woman. She wasn't she was just very, a pretty face. Yeah, she was a very, she it published for 25 weeks until January of 1905. That's crazy. Yeah, it's kind of pretty awesome. Um, but as the most famous courtesan, of course, she ended up getting more attention from people. And so in 1908, she met, she met a Romanian prince named um, George Gica. He was the nephew of the Queen um, Natalie of, of Serbia, and he was 15 years younger than her. Hello. Yeah, hello, Cougar. Um, he was a prince, and he had the title and everything, but he was basically dirt poor. Huh. He had, like, no money. Um, they ended up meeting um, because he, she one day, um, and this was, ended up being, this was in the New York Times. They were actually, they were married in, um, on June 8th, 1910. She was wearing a mauve wedding dress mm-hmm. at the Saint-Philippe-de-Roy church. Um, the next day, it was on the cover of the New York Times. What? That they were married. I saw the whole article and everything. Like I could see like the whole scan of the article. Um, and it was titled, The Paris Professional Beauty Marries Prince Gika Who Championed Her. Who championed her? Yeah, and the story of that is, is because one day she was out, and I, I love everything about this. She was getting laughed at by a group of people on the streets of Saint Germain because she was wearing this huge hat, and people huh. were like mocking her because she was wearing this big hat for a hat, a hat. 
in Paris, the capital of hats. So, (laughs) but it was so uh, in 1914, she actually, um, he went up to her and, or like 1910, sorry. He went up and like helped save her. And like, uh, he ended up getting an altercation and getting arrested for assault. What? I love this so much. He defended her hat honor. Yeah. Her hat honor because these people are making fun of her. And then she decided to marry him. I mean, if that's not a love story, I don't know what is. Yeah, I know. I mean, that is the stuff that's the fairy tales are written of. Don't be making fun of big hats, people. I know. I mean, if there are people wear hats in Paris all the time. Seriously, but not really big ones. Not really big ones. But now I really want some gigantic hat that's like the picture that I'll put on the website of her, like from My Fair Lady. <laughs> it's got. It's got to happen. You gotta do um, it. Yeah, in 1914, her son um, had served in um, as part of a pioneering group of pilots in World War One, and he tragically died, um, which devastated her. Um, she was completely upset. She ended up going to a nursing home for a short period of time. Um, I think it's a different nursing home than we think of. Um, mm-hmm. But she went to a nursing home for a short time because she was so distraught and so upset. Um, but you know, it's that I didn't find a lot about, I mean, she must've ended up having some sort of a relationship with her son after she left him, you know, mm-hmm. when she left for Paris. Um, but she still nonetheless was quite upset. Um, the marriage was pretty good, um, until 16 years into it in July of 1926, he left her for a woman mm-hmm. named Marion Thibault, who had been actually Leanne's lover. What? Yeah, so she had this lover, Marion, and then her husband took up with the lover. This is fascinating. I know. Well, and it's really great because a lot of articles about her would say how she went from being the whore to a nun. So stay tuned. It's getting better. (laughs) (laughs) What a colorful life. Yeah. So he left her and he told her that she could... um, cheat on him basically at this point she could sleep with women but she wasn't allowed to sleep with men because then that would be infidelity <laughs> after he left. and so she ended up calling up her old friend natalie and she and natalie reunited for a period of time and natalie was also involved with a, a woman named mimi Fran- franchetti she so the basically the three of them kind of had a little bit of a throuple a little three-way relationship so she was fine with the throuple in the end. Yeah. So she was fine with that. And the the husband, the, the penniless prince, was fine with the two. Except <laughs> that then she threatened she was going to divorce him. And he returned back to Paris to be with her to avoid the scandal that a divorce would cause. Wait. So he, he well, I guess back then, yeah, you didn't get divorced, even if yeah. you were a penniless prince. That's yeah. so funny. Funny. And so she's probably like, I've already done it before. I've been divorced. So I'll just call up my same guy and get another divorce. Yeah, no big deal. No big deal. Um, so he ended up coming back. Um, it, it was never really, things were, of course, not really the same with them. In 1928, they left for Grenoble, where she ended up meeting um, the mother superior of the Saint-Ange um, Asylum. 
um, Mary Xavier. She, it was an institute. They had an institute for disabled children there. And Leanne took it upon herself to be like the champion of that and to try to raise money. She was contacting like all of her rich friends back in Paris to get money donated to help help these children and take care of the institution and the church. And she did very well at it. Um, a lot of people gave money. And so she basically kind of took that onto her calling. She spent more and more time there and she eventually took the the vow in um, August 14th, 1943. So quite a long ways later to become a nun of the St. Dominic. What? Yeah. So she went from being this gorgeous supermodel, fancy prostitute married to a prince to a nun. Yep. So now you see why it's called from a nor to a, a whore to a nun. I just combined the words. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, and she changed her name again. Now she was Sister Anne Marie de la Penitence. Is that where she lived the rest of her life? Yeah. So Prince, um, pr- the prince died uh, April nineteenth, nineteen forty-five. I mean, you, I mean, nineteen forty-five. That's n- not that long ago of the you know when you we look at all the people we talk about. Nineteen forty-five yeah. is is not that long ago. She moved to Switzerland. She ended up staying in a hotel room at the Carlton Hotel in Lausanne, Switzerland. Um, she rarely ever left it. She stayed basically in that room um, for like four years until her death the day after Christmas, 1950. So she was a nun, but then she became like a fancy nun living in a hotel? Yes. I want to be a fancy nun living in a hotel. Yeah. <laughs> The Carlton Hotel, she, and she was buried back at Saint. She was buried at Saint Agnes, where she was doing all that work for in the cemetery they had there. Um, from nineteen nineteen to um, nineteen forty one, she kept a very detailed di- diary of everything in her life, um, which is, I'm sure, incredibly interesting to read. I could only find it in French so far, and um, I couldn't find it anywhere to order it. So I'll have to, I'll be on the lookout at the Bouquinese to see if I could find that. Um, It was published in 1977 after her death, and it was My Blue Notebook. My Blue Notebook? Yeah. Yeah. That's so sad. She died alone, though. Like, she lived alone for four years, like her husband and her... What happened to her thruple? Like, she just dumped that for God? Like, oh, I'm sure, because Natalie was, you know, Natalie was, would, you know, the wind would blow and she'd be on to somebody different. Yeah, Natalie was busy. busy. Yeah. yeah, when her husband came back, it was more like, you know, for show, you know, that they were together. And I don't think there was a lot of love anymore between the two of them. Mm. The, the prince that, you know, saved her, saved her hat. The penniless prince. The penniless prince. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was fascinating. I yeah. feel like that needs to be a soap opera. It basically is. I mean, her house and the, I'll put pictures on my website, um, claudinehemingway.com of the place that she lived. It was near Parc Monceau. Um, and just the, it's still there. The fa- facade of it is absolutely gorgeous. I definitely want to go see it. I'm going to look at your picture so I can go hunt it down yes. and uh, keep track of all these, you know, fancy lesbians. Yeah, that whole area, there's this whole, there's like these streets right off of Parc Monceau um, up to the, like, I guess it would be like the northwest side of Parc Monceau that I walked one day and I just ended up going down this one street and I literally was like every single building. I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like taking a million pictures and writing, like making all these notes about the different architects because a lot of times they're on the side of the building there was just this one street and i think it's the same street that she lived on 
that is just like one place after another is just gorgeous. And it's not an area that people go to. Interesting. Yeah, you probably saw because I've shot a lot of portrait sessions there, but I don't explore around the side streets, but they're all super fancy. You're right. Yeah, they're very fancy. But it was there. I mean, Sarah, that's where Sarah Bernhardt lived. The outside of the facade of the building where she used to live has actually like um like two rats like chasing each other, like playing, chasing each Weird. other. And they're just like as a sculpture on the side of the building. Weird rats. Which is the <laughs> only way I will ever be okay seeing one. Is that a sculpture <laughs> on the building? And that still grosses me out. <laughs> There's a lot of them in Paris. You're bound I know, to see I, just, I don't look under bushes or. Yeah. Don't walk no. around at night. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, thank you so much for another fun filled episode. And don't forget to join Claudine on her virtual walks around Paris. Every Sunday she gives you history and she walks live with you over zoom So make sure you sign up. It's only $15 a household to join these tours. Great deal to get history and travel to Paris virtually. And you can sign up for that on her website or check out her Instagram. And we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Paris History Avec A. Hemingway. If you want to find out some more, you could always find me on my Instagram page, Claudine Bleu Blanc Rouge, and that's B-L-E-U, as in the French way to spell it. And each day I post a daily history lesson about a person or a place or something in Paris, or it's lots of fun facts. And then also at ClaudineHemingway.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter there.